0: Well, today we're launching, we're beginning a new series of Bible studies, but we're also beginning a new series of messages here on Sunday morning. And we're sort of focusing on what the leadership question for a church. Churches have to have leadership. God has given us a a high exalted leader in Jesus Christ, but as we learn to be like him, he has given us the privilege of being together in a church. And he has given us the privilege of then, in that church organization, to actually learn to be more like Jesus. And part of that is learning, well, authority. We're learning leadership learning governance, but also learning to how to work together and work as a team and be all that God has created us to be. So today we're actually sort of beginning this set of leadership questions that I think the Apostle Paul tries to answer in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, he does that um, through a letter to a younger pastor, a younger leader, who had accompanied Paul, who he had mentored, who he had trained. The apostle Paul worked with this young man named Timothy, um, and he did so on missionary journeys. They went from town to town. They started new churches. Timothy had seen how Paul taught. He saw how Paul set things up. He saw all that Paul was doing, and then Paul leaves him behind. Paul leaves Timothy in a city called Ephesus where there had been a great revival, where there had been a great awakening of God. And we see that Paul leaves Timothy um, and now writes a letter from prison, writes a letter back of instruction to Timothy of leading him of what to do. I don't know about you, but I often have these questions about leadership. Sometimes when I find myself in those roles. Uh, David and I went to a pastor's conference this weekend. We were away um, for the Baptist convention. I had a little group of, of pastor's conference, and uh, we were there. And um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, I think well, in those things, I'm very greatly encouraged by the messages, by the sermons, by the prayers, by faithful people who are leading God's, God's kingdom. I learn a whole lot about the stuff I'm not doing right. And that's what I keep thinking I'm doing. It's like, oh, you need to be more organized. Oh, you need to have cast a vision better. Oh, you need to. And I keep thinking, yes. Oh, and we, yes. And yes. 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 Hmm. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to discover. And it makes me ask the question, really, what makes a good leader in the church? Not just the pastor, but someone who is leading maybe a committee, or maybe leading a Sunday school class. What is it that makes a good leader? What are those indicators that the person will even be successful at that task? How can we be assured that the person will last, or they won't be here today, gone tomorrow? How can we know that the person will be truly competent? And so today, we're looking in First Timothy chapter 1 of some things that t- Paul tells Timothy that I think help make a competent leader. For us, we have a unique place. This is not just who would be a competent president or who would be a competent manager or who would be a competent parent. This is about who will be competent in God's kingdom. And when we look at 1 Timothy, God, Paul tells Timothy that a competent leader must first and foremost be called by God. Be called by God. Look at how Paul describes himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God our Savior, and of Jesus Christ our hope. We respond to God's call. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's laid out in advance for each of us to do. But brothers and sisters, it's not just about fulfilling tasks. It's not just about, well, here's a job. I guess I can go meet that need. That's an excellent way to discover sometimes what God has for you. But we are in a relationship with the living God. We are a people that know him and that are directed by him. The spiritual gifts we've studied about, how the Holy Spirit arranges the people... And we need to hear a call of God. We need, each of us need to say, look, Lord, here's my life. It's actually your life. Jesus, you purchased this. What do you have for it? Paul, this apostle, this is a big A apostle, right? He is starting new churches. He is proclaiming that Jesus Christ, he has seen and encountered the risen Lord Jesus. He has been given scripture to give to us. He knew that this was his apostle role that was given to him by God. Do any of you have a role that is given to you by God? Have you taken time to say, Lord, here's my life. I want to put it in your hands. I remember when I first began to sense a little bit of like, God, here's my life. I I want you to use it. Here's my life. I I want to put it in your hands. Here's my life. It it was a lot through a college ministry and and those college ministry experiences. Maybe that's why I'm still so drawn to it today. But I I went on a summer mission project with an organization called Campus Crusade, and we call it Crew now. Uh, But I went on a summer mission experience with this. And while I was there, they gave us each roles. They said, oh, you're going to be the Bible study for the rest of the summer. Oh. You're going to help plan all the activities for the rest of the summer. Oh, you're going to help us plan our outreach and evangelistic tasks. This was very exciting to me. And all of a sudden, they I wonder what my job's going to be. Am I going to help plan the games? I really like games. The volleyball we play. I'm still playing volleyball. We played volleyball all summer. Do I get to plan? Oh, maybe lead a Bible study. I've kind of liked teaching the Bible. That might be kind of fun. I'd, I'd like to learn how to do that. Oh, it came down to me. I was a young sophomore. I and mean, this, this was only, and they said, oh, um, we need to have a director for the whole uh, rest of the college students for the rest of the summer, and that's you. What do directors do i mean they, they direct i i don't know how to direct i i I thought to myself god what, what, what am I supposed to do with it i mean do I get to boss people around? Nobody likes the people that boss people around. I don't like the people that boss people around. I don't want to be the person that bosses people around. What does a director do? And they begin to say, well, if there's problems. I'm like, I don't like problems. I, in fact, I try to avoid problems. Well, if there's a conflict. Yeah, that, avoiding conflict. I do that well. Um, I, I don't want any of that. Jo-. But I began to pray. And they're like, well, you need to really pray. Just, we believe that God's calling you to this, and you're supposed to do this. And I began to think, okay, is this from God? Is this from God. Learning to direct a team of other college students. You know, it's interesting. When I got back to my campus, I ended up being the president of my campus ministry. I had to direct. It seemed like immediately after that, I had a role as a youth minister, and then almost immediately after that, a college minister, and I was directing a group of college students. It was interesting how then I spent the next 25 years of my life directing college ministries. It seemed like even then as a young sophomore, God had a call that he was specifically giving to me to be able to work with young adults and college students. Oh, how those men and women in that Campus Crusade group began to see a calling that I had no idea about. God places us with other believers. God places us in a church. God helps us work together to know this is his calling in your life. This is what he has for you to do. And I thought, there's no way. But see, I think the Apostle Paul might have also felt inadequate for the task. Look what he says in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, look, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. Who, that he considered me trustworthy. That he appointed me to his service. We realize that the ability to accomplish these tasks, sure, we might have skills, we might have gifts, but they always come from God. That God enables us to do these things within his body that only he can do. I was at this conference, and a a woman was speaking about what was happening in her church, and how her pastor stopped and had a prayer time, kind of like we just did. Except at their church, everybody prayed out loud. I'm like... You guys ready for that? Everybody want to pray out loud? Well, they let everybody pray out loud in the service, and they just took a break, and everybody just kind of prayed to God. And this lady began to say how she uh, was sitting in front of a woman who had been coming quite regularly to church, and she sat behind her uh, in the the pews, in the chairs behind. And when they entered prayer time, this woman who was typically pretty quiet in the church and typically seemed to be pretty unassuming and didn't have a lot of roles— began to pray, and oh, she began to pray, and she began to ask for God's movement. She began to ask God to pour out his blessing, to give wisdom to the leaders, that God would give gifts of evangelism, that the church would begin to reach out and spread, and she just began to call down the blessings of heaven on the congregation, and the leaders, and the members, and people who weren't there yet, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and the woman who was giving testimony about it was standing there going, I didn't have anything to say. I was just like, what she says, and that, and that, and that one too, and whatever else she's praying. And she was just in her spirit going, amen, and amen, amen, just whatever. And she turned after the service and said, God's given you a gift of prayer. Did you know the next week that woman came back and said, I, I think maybe God is calling me to do a prayer ministry in this church. And she's like, yep, absolutely. Let's go talk to the pastor. Let's go talk to the leaders. Yeah, absolutely, God's call. God has given us these gifts, and He gives us that strength. He gives us that 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 calling that He would consider us a trustworthy, that He would appoint us to the task, brothers and sisters. This sermon could very easily be just about me because it seems like it's about a pastor, and that seems to be my job. Oh yeah, David, you got to listen too. Um, Barry, where is he? Um, um, He's Barry is. We're praying for him. He had to go lead a few emergency uh, a funeral that he had to do for uh, up in Connecticut. So let's continue to lift him up in prayer. Um, uh, but this is not just about pastors. This is about God's people. Whenever we start thinking, Lord, can you use me? Lord, am I someone that you would want to, 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 to work through in your congregation? Satan comes along. The accuser of God's saints comes along. And he begins to say, well, yeah, that's everybody else but not You. That, that, that's everybody else, but not you. Hey, no, no, the, the sins of your past, maybe the struggles of your present, um, and quite honestly, we have no confidence about your future. You shouldn't. I don't. Those are the words of Satan that he comes and he begins to accuse. He begins to say, you're not worthy. You can't handle this. This isn't really what you can do. And the Apostle Paul in the very next verse says, even though I was once, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, even though I was that person. And do you remember the story? This apostle Paul, that was not always his name. He was a man named Saul of Tarsus who had studied religion, who had studied under Gamaliel, who had studied all the Jewish faith and thought that it was his obligation under God to do everything he could to oppose Jesus Christ, to oppose the good news of Christ. He went so far as to persecuting the church. He went so far as to throwing prisoner people into prison who had trusted into Jesus as their Lord. He was the one who was there holding the cloaks while everyone else stoned that first de- that first deacon Stephen to death. He was there. He was a blasphemer against Jesus Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. And honestly, he was so angry that he was willing to throw in his lot with violent men (laughs) that he himself became violent, a persecutor of God's people. If anyone deserves not to be an apostle, and And a big A apostle, a writer of most of the New Testament, 13 of our books of the New Testament, more than any other person came from this man. I wouldn't hire him to be pastor of our church. He's not qualified. He'd been in jail. He he, he persecuted. No, we're not going to take Paul. Paul. But God had chosen him. God had called him. God brought him because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. He says in verse 14 that the grace, it's always by grace. It's never by how good you are. It's never about what your accomplishments are. It's always by grace. And yes, it's always by grace. So you've never gone too far to not be usable by God. It's by grace. He says the grace of the Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Because here's a trustworthy saying. He says, right here, let's just stop and get this nailed into our minds. Let's get this sealed into our hearts. That the trustworthy saying is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Whenever we start thinking that, well, God's lucky to have me, really. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a top draft pick, I think, uh, for the kingdom of God. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you know, I should probably go number one, number two, nah, at least top five. Uh, when you start beginning to believe the lies about yourself, You've forgotten that it's all about grace, that Christ has come to save sinners, and that we as his people are now joining in him as those sinners who have been redeemed by grace. We join with him to elevate those who maybe don't see it in themselves, that calling of God, that purpose, that significance that God wants to place in their lives. We are called to be that encourager, that builder up of his people, those people who edify, because Paul knew... I'm the worst, but God called me. He says that that's the reason actually God chose me. He thinks that that is his conclusion in verse 16. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, that I'm the worst of sinners shown mercy, that Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as the example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If you share Jesus with others, um, occasionally, regularly, whenever God opens the door, you will find people who will say this, I have. That sounds good, but you don't know what I've done. That sounds good, but you don't know my story. That sounds good, but God could never forgive me. That's a lie. That's the farthest thing from the truth. I can imagine that as Paul started church after church, as Paul moved across Asia Minor and Greece and ultimately into Italy uh, b- b- of the time, Rome of the time, uh, as Paul moved across, I'm sure he found people who said, I'm glad you're talking about the grace of God from your Jewish background and you used to be a rabbi and all those things, but he couldn't forgive me. You don't understand. I'm a murderer. I'm a blasphemer. I- 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 I'm someone who persecuted others. I- I've cheated. I've robbed. I've sealed. I'm a runner. Away, slave. That was Onesimus. Paul calls him a dear brother. He become useful, right? We see this all the way through the Scripture. Hey, it's your worth in Christ Jesus is come full because Jesus has died for you. Jesus came to save sinners, and Paul says, "I'm the worst. You think you're not good enough? Look at me. I'm the one. I'm the example. He saved a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, and a violent man. No one can say." I've gone too far. I'm not worthy. Well, we can all say that, actually. You can all say you're not worthy. But God has placed upon you supreme worth. He's loved you. Well, Paul doesn't want this to be just about him. He's not saying it's just about me. He's wanting Timothy to know that this calling is upon Timothy's life. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping in the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. Timothy These prophecies were made about you. Now, this was a very specific calling in Timothy's life, to be this pastor, to be this leader. And often we will talk about, you need to remember those days of your calling. But brothers and sisters, that's not just for David. That's for all of us. Remember your calling, that you were redeemed, that you were called as part of this workmanship. He says, brothers, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I really kind of like this verse because Paul just wants to kind of remind us of some things. Brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. Think of it what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But Paul chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Brothers and sisters, we begin right here. When we're going to talk about competence and leadership for our church, we need some people that might have been foolish. Maybe the unwise Maybe the ones who are not influential, not rich, not wealthy. Maybe those who are weak in themselves. I think I qualify. Maybe you do too. God calls people that are available. God calls people that are willing to be used. Will you say, here am I. Send me. The competent Christian leader Begins not being full of themselves, but being empty. Being, say, Yes, Lord, hear my, use me. Well, there's a few other things that Paul wants us to know from this passage. Second, the competent Christian leader must be committed to the assignment, must be committed to the assignment. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it, does, it says the same thing. Uh, one who has been given a trust must prove faithful. Here's how he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there. In Ephesus, so that you might command certain people not to fea- fa- teach false doctrines any longer. Stay there. Now... Whenever I preach something like this, I feel like I need it to always say that there's a little, there's wiggle room here. We see in the New Testament very much that God moves people around. That sometimes Apollos uh, was over in Ephesus, and sometimes Apollos was doing great work in Corinth. The Apostle Paul himself was on missionary journeys, moving around and around and around. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila served the church in Rome, and served the church in Corinth, and served the church in Ephesus. God placed different people at different uh, churches for different seasons to do different work. Absolutely. Don't, 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 don't uh, ever mistake like, oh, well, I've got to stay right here. This is my home church. This is, I'm no, no, God moves us around Always for the same purpose, for our good and the good of his people. Now, it might have a specific reason here or there, changing jobs, changing locations, conflict, whatever. There may be specific issues, but it's always for our good and for the good of his people. But when God has given you an assignment, let me just tell you, you got to stay there. Finish the work that the Lord wants to do both in you and through you. Stay there. I, I can remember very much, uh, I had some theories about church and what church is supposed to be. And I was had just moved here from New York. And my wife and I were looking for a church. And we got involved in a church that was reaching the most number of college students uh, at Johns Hopkins. And we plugged in there. And I remember our, uh, they found out that I, I teach and uh, have a ministry here and all this. Thing, and we had our first fall retreat as a church. And, and they said, oh, well, will you teach a class on what the nature of the church is? And I was like, yeah, actually, that's a thing I talk a lot about. Okay, sure, I'll talk about church. And, I'll, and I began to talk to these college students and these young adults about nature of church and what a church is. And I said something about, like, I feel like God has assigned my wife and I here for this season as this church is launching to help lay some groundwork and, and put some things, you know, in place. But, you know, then I'm sure God will move us on to another church to help out and maybe another church to help out and maybe another church. You know, we're kind of missionary type people. That's what we do. And one of the girls that was there, she was like, I think maybe Jesus wants you to stay. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's sweet. That, that's sweet of you. That, you know. <clears throat> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do the math 13, 14 years later 14 years later I think uh, maybe God moved us to the next spot stay there there's something that happens in us through longevity, and through us in longevity. We don't just bounce from place to place to place, especially not because, oh, well, you know, it's kind of hard here. There's some difficulties here. There's some problems here. Maybe I'll bounce on to the next thing. No, God calls us to walk through the problems. Um, I had a boss who came, and I think he was well-meaning. I don't, I don't even know if he was. I, he tried. Um, let's just, I'll give him that much. He tried. Anybody have bosses that you're like, I don't know? Um, I had a boss, and he tried. I shouldn't complain, but I'm complaining. It was a tough time. But I remember him trying to like, as he was putting all these new things in place and changing everything and doing things that really caused a lot of consternation and frustration among the staff, he said this. He's like, guys, this is gonna be fun because I'm not doing anything that's not fun. I thought, this isn't fun for us. (laughs) uh. He only lasted about six months, I think, in that role. He he didn't last long. but I had this thought when he was saying this, and maybe just because I was being very much judgmental on this part because I was frustrated, but I thought, I'm only going to do things that are fun. That, 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 can't be my, that can't be my guiding principle. Now, do I want to be in a work where 90% of the work is things that are in my areas of giftedness, things that tend to revitalize me, tend to things that tend to energize me? I mean, I would, that, that's a blessing from God for sure. But saying... I only want to do it when it's not hard and when it's easy. Yeah, I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. I don't think that's what he called us to. Sometimes we need to stay there. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, that author or pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Cross wasn't fun the cross. There was nothing that that Jesus enjoyed about the cross. The joy was before him. He endured the cross to accomplish God's purpose in his life, scorning its shame, now sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's say, well, let's say with the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition. Opposition is not fun. He endured the opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and losing heart. Sometimes we just need to stay there, finish the task, do what God has for us to do. A competency in Christian leadership is sometimes just stick to itness. And not just abandoning for what we think are those greener pastures. For what we think is the, 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 the bone on the other side. What, what, what's the thing where the dog looks at the bone in the river? Right, right, you, you got it. We, we think that something sounds better. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says it this way, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This Paul who had been through prison, who had been shipwrecked, who had been beaten, who people threw rocks at until they thought he was dead, this Paul says, I don't count my worth lo- my life worth anything. I want to finish the task. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, he says this, for I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Something that haunts me, quite honestly, is something my pastor said to me years ago. He said, do you know how few people finish well? When we look at the scriptures, how few, the, the, you know, the Davids, the Solomons, uh, so, some of our heroes of the faith, how few finished well. I want to finish well. That means endurance. That means setting my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. A competent leader must be called, but they also need to stick to it. Not just when times are good, but through even the difficulties. Number three, I got a third one. A competent leader must be corrective. Must be corrective. What do I mean by that? Corrective to the people. Look at what Paul tells Timothy. That's the easiest way to see it. As I urge you, what are they supposed to do? Stay in Ephesus. But why are you supposed to stay in Ephesus? So that you might command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths, or to genealogies, keeping going. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Oh my goodness, what's going on? Part of the role for us as believers is we are corrective measures in each other's lives. Those of us who are teachers of God's Word, we take this very seriously. I mean, this is a tricky thing. We don't want to just teach our personal opinions. We don't want to just say, this is the way I think church ought to be. This is the way I think we ought to do worship service. This is the way I think it goes. This is how I think. We've got plenty of controversial issues in the church today. We've had plenty of controversial issues in the church in Paul's time. We've always had controversial issues. And we, as God's teachers, as God's leaders, and those of you who are teaching Our children's Sunday school class, our youth Sunday school class, our adult classes, we are called to help people know God's Word well, to teach God's Word well. Where there are disputable matters, as it talks about in Romans 14, Well, a lot of that we're supposed to keep to ourselves. A lot of those we want to make sure we're not a stumbling block. There are things that God gives us about disputable matters, but in things of God that are clear, we need to be clear. Paul's telling Timothy, there are things that are clear that you want to make clear to God's people. Things about who Jesus is, salvation, how we are supposed to live in love, and how we're supposed to love one another in the right way. We are called to be these things that are not about, what does he say in verse 4? Controversial speculations. One of my principles is that what the Bible's very, 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 very clear about, I'm going to be very, 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 very clear about. It. And I'm going to preach a lot. If you're like, yeah, we have heard this one before. You're going to hear that one again and again and again. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says, I'm writing the same things to you. Because it's a safeguard for all of you. We're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to proclaim the resurrection. We're going to proclaim salvation. But we're also going to talk about the way we interact with God and how God has called us to live and live out with with one another. When it's clear in the Scriptures, we're going to be extremely clear. And the parts of the Scripture that are a little on the fuzzy side, the part of the Scripture that's not as clear, well, we'll probably be a little fuzzy on that. I think that's the way we honor. That's the way we do it. But we've got to make sure that we are helping one another grow. We are advancing God's work, which is by faith. Instead, some, he says in verse 6, have turned from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. I just got back from a pastor's conference. We had a lot of confident affirming. Lots and lots of confident affirming. Lots Lots of confident affirming. Some of it probably is clear. Some of it may not be. We want to be clear about what God is clear about. We want to help us know better. Uh, to be able to be self-teachers. In Acts chapter 20, it says, I know that Paul says, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. Even among your own number, uh, there will be those who will arise to distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Watch out for false teachers. We will be on guard as we function as a church, making God's Word and His Spirit the guide for us as we move forward. Finally, I I always feel like we balance that out with this truth, that a competent leader needs to be compassionate. A competent leader must be compassionate. Look what he says he's talking about the corrective role that T- Timothy had in the lives of these people in, in Ephesus. He says, I've left you there so that you might teach people not to teach false doctrines. But look what he says in the next phrase, in the next sentence in verse 5. He says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of this command is love. It's not loving to not tell people the truth. Now, sometimes we don't want to not tell. You've got to have a pure heart. You're not just trying to be mean here. You have to have a good conscience. You better be doing this in the right way. You better have a sincere faith when you go about it. But his goal is always love. Competent leaders have love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging symbol, Or if I have the prophecy, a gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all the mysteries and all, of all knowledge. well, that would be helpful in my philosophy class. I've got to be honest. If I, could, if I knew all the mysteries, and I had all knowledge, and if I had faith that could move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I've given over my body to the hardship that I might boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Brothers and sisters, as we become those leaders in each other's lives, as we push one another to know Christ deeply, uh, to walk in the the, the direction of his word, to understand the calling of his spirit in our lives, we got to have love. So my question to you today, are you becoming the competent leader that God has called you to be? It begins with this, saying yes. Is there something the Lord has laid in your life that you're saying yes to? Are we being resistant? Number two, are you being faithful even when it gets a little hard or a little difficult or it's not quite clear, it's confusing or it's stressful? Are you being faithful even when it's difficult? And number three, is God using you to correct, to disciple, to encourage, to build up in love? Maybe today you're saying, yeah. I need to say yes to the Lord. I want you to say yes to the Lord because I'm not a believer and I I, I need to follow him. I, I need to accept this forgiveness. Would you say yes? Or maybe you need to say yes and say, I need to be part of this church and this congregation. God is doing something here that God is calling me to be a part of. Or maybe it's just the encouragement that says, Lord, I'll be faithful to the task you've given me. Would you respond as God is calling you? Scott's going to lead us in a song. Let's pray, and you respond. I'll be up at the front. If you need to make a decision publicly or or pray with someone, I will be here. Father, thank you so much for your gift, for your love, for your calling in our lives. I ask that you would continue to lead us, that you would lead us by your loving, truthful guidance, that you would direct our steps and help us be those that are competent leaders, that are walking in the power of your Spirit and always in your love. God, you've called us. Help us be the people you've called us to be. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.